to the Renaissance times, mm-hmm. episode 37. <clears throat> wow. It's still talking about the Popes of Avignon. Yeah. And how they were in it for the bling. <laughs> because that made Jesus happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus loved the bling. Now, um, you know, I think you mentioned in our last episode, we were talking about Clement VI, who I think is the fourth right. Avignon Pope. Yep. People were complaining about how much money they the, the popes were demanding. The popes were saying, hey, look at this good isn't easy. We've got to pay for all of this stuff, which is still what the Catholic Church says today, by the way. They say, listen, you know, we run hospitals and yeah. schools. We need the money. Clement said he had been forced to lend Philip VI of France 592,000 gold florins, basically $135 million in today's money, right. and 3.5 florins to King John II, Philip's son and heir, which is roughly eight hundred million. Right. So a billion dollars he's had to yeah. fork over, yeah. loaned in inverted commas <laughs> to in air quotes to uh, French kings oh. for the Hundred Years' War. Now here's a quick quiz yeah. for you, Ray. How long did the Hundred Years' War last? Um, was it just under? I think it was mm, just under a hundred years. I can't remember. Like 116. Shit, I went the wrong way. Okay. Oh, and I forgot to mention earlier, to add on to what you just said, John the 22nd had to give the papal treasury from his own purse 440,000 florins. So again, these guys, we're talking about the money of the papacy, but obviously the Pope himself, the cardinals, the bishops, um, uh, everyone else had their own personal finances. And, and as you can imagine, these guys are making a ton of money. If he can give that much money to his office, then his personal wealth has got to be staggering. And that's why you take the job in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. But now, now uh, I'm sorry. I was do just, you want to, do you want to, yeah. Do you want to talk briefly about the Hundred Years' War, what it was about? Oh, good God. Um, you can. I'm trying to remember. It was uh, fought between 1337 and 1453 by the House of Plantagenet, mm-hmm. the rulers of England, and the French House of Valois. Yeah. Um, and it was about who got to rule France, basically. Um, you know, there was uh, various succession battles about who had the rights because yeah. um, uh, uh, because the, the Plantagenets were French um, too and they believed they were next in succession. It went on for 116 years. Who was the last <clears throat> Plantagenet king of England? Who? Henry V. I have no idea making this up. I have no idea. I'll give you a hint. Yeah. <clears throat> Here we go. Now is the winter of our discontent, made glorious summer by this son of York. Is it Richard? And all the clouds that lowered upon our house in the deep bosom of the ocean buried. Now are our brows bound with victorious wreaths, our bruised arms hung up for monuments, our stern alarms changed to many meetings, our dreadful marches to delightful measures. Grim-visaged war hath smoothed his wrinkled front. And now, instead of mounting barbed steeds to fright the souls of fearful adversaries, he capers nimbly in a lady's chamber to the lascivious pleasings of a lute. 
But I, that am not shaped for sport of tricks, nor made to court an amorous looking-glass, I, that am rudely stamped, and want love's majesty to strut before a wanton nambling nymph, I, that am curtailed of this fair proportion, cheated to feature by dissembling nature, deformed, unfinished, sent before my time into this breathing world, scarce half made up, and that so lamely and unfashionable that dogs bark at me as I halt by them. Why I, in this weak piping time of peace, have no delight to pass away the time unless to spy my shadow in the sun and descant on mine own deformity. And therefore, since I cannot prove a lover to entertain these farewell-spoken days, I am determined to prove a villain and hate the idle pleasures of these days. Plots have I laid, inductions dangerous, by drunken prophecies, libels and dreams, to set my brother Clarence and the king in deadly hate, the one against the other. And if King Edward be as true and just as I am, subtle, false and treacherous, this day should Clarence closely be mewed up about a prophecy which says the G of Edward's heirs, the murderer, shall be. Dive thoughts down to my soul. Here Clarence comes. So Shakespeare was the last king. <laughs> you know, I'm always looking for an excuse to roll out a bit of Richard III. Well, actually, part of that, you just said that he, was, he had a premature birth, i.e., could have been a bubble boy if they had bubbles back then, so that him makes him a kindred spirit of mine. So I'm just throwing that out. I was actually going to say, uh, I have no delight to spoil away the time except to become a podcaster <laughs> um, because I'm so deformed. Yeah. Sent into before my time into the world. Right. That's you, man. You yeah. are Richard III. Yeah. Hunchback, <laughs> midget. No. And devious, don't ever turn your back on me. You'll only do it once. He was the last Plantagenet king mm. of England. Aww. Now, despite all of the taxes and everything that the popes have been levying for uh, the last 30, 40 years, they've lost a lot of money uh, mm. paying out all that stuff that we've mentioned. Um, and uh, a lot of it was caused by the, the extreme luxury of the papal court. Um, Clement VI, that is said, was surrounded by male and female relatives attired in furs, by knights, squires, sergeants-at-arms, chaplains, ushers, chamberlains, musicians, poets, artists, doctors, scientists, tailors, philosophers, and chefs. Damn. 400 people in his royal court, all fed, clothed, lodged, and salaried by the Pope. Um, so he, he's built a, up a massive royal court, effectively, <laughs> which was the envy, they say, of the kings of Europe at the time. Right. So he thought of himself, Clement this is, as a ruler, as a king, as a sovereign, mm -hmm. who had to awe his subjects and impress uh. ambassadors by conspicuous consumption, Jeez. like kings did. Right. We've talked about this on other episodes of other shows, but that's the way you showed how rich and powerful you were was by how Gold extravagant toilet. your court was because right. it was a way of signaling, oh, well, shit, uh, we better not tackle this guy. Right. If he can spend that much money on luxuries, imagine how much he can spend on an army. Ah. Uh, we better we better not, uh, 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 you know, try and take his shit. Right. 
Now, the cardinals as well um, as the royal council of state and princes of the church, because I don't know if you know this, but a cardinal is a prince Mm. that's still today in their titles. They're princes of the church. They had to have their own sort of uh, uh, palaces in their areas to maintain the dignity of the church. So they would have their own retinues, their own mini royal courts. They would throw massive banquets, which would be the talk of the town. They had to, you know, sort of represent yeah. the wealth uh, and power of the church in their district. Uh, there was a guy called Bernard of Garves, Cardinal Bernard, might have overdone it a little bit. <laughs> He hired 51 houses just to house his retainers in. Cardinal Peter of Banhak had had, uh, 10 stables of horses. Mm -hmm. To come behind him. In his area. Right. To come behind, yeah, and a stable of young men. (laughs) Uh, Even bishops would have... You know, fancy houses with jesters, court jesters, falcons and dogs. It was all about, in this period, um, exorbitant displays of wealth. Because, mm-hmm. again, we have to realize that the, the, the Catholic Church at this stage was trying to maintain its power and prestige. Right. It, they saw themselves literally as having temporal power as well as spiritual power. And this is part of how you know they, they, why they were being criticised by the um, Francis, Franciscans. We've mentioned a couple of times the, mm-hmm. the church that was established by Saint Francis of Assisi. Francis of Assisi famously um, was extremely poor, walked around with with semi naked, barely any clothing. Yeah, he did. Um, he was all about returning to the poverty of Christ and the original disciples and criticizing the wealth and luxury of the church. Um, for that, they had him killed, and then they would. And, and as soon as they. As soon as he died, basically, they turned him into a saint, right. built a big fucking church with his name, and decked it out in gold. And charged people and to see completely it. completely tried to. Right. Yeah. I've been to Assisi, Me too. and now out at the front of right at the front of Assisi, there's just stalls selling M M&M and M t shirts and bobbleheads <laughs> and uh, touristy bling. Um, he would be horrified, Saint Francis, yes. at how commercialized oh. his church now has become. But um, yeah, so the, the, this was this is where the church was at in the 1300s. Uh, one bishop wrote. That the whole Christian folk take from the clergy pernicious examples of gluttony is clear and notorious, since the said clergy feast more luxuriously and splendidly and with more dishes than princes and kings. Wow. And then um, I have the Petrarch quote. That's what he said about the Avignon popes. The impious Babylon, the hell on earth, the sink of vice, the sewer of the world. There is in it neither faith nor charity nor religion nor the fear of God. All the filth and wickedness of the world have run together here. Old men plunge hot 
and headlong into the arms of Venus, forgetting their age, dignity and powers, they rush into every shame, as if all their glory consisted not in the cross of Christ, but in feasting, drunkenness and unchastity. Fornication, incest, rape, adultery are the lascivious delights of the pontifical games. God damn. He's just putting it out there. I don't know about you, but I want some of that. I'm turned Um, on. I'd be like, hey, how do I sign up for that? Old men plunging hot and headlong (laughs) into the arms of Venus? I'm qualified to be a priest. Fucking sign me up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe a bishop. I'm not trying to brag. Petrarch, of course, Ray was a little bit biased. Why was Petrarch upset about Avignon? Well, yeah, obviously he was writing to have the church return back to Italy. But because he worked for the church and he stayed at the time with the popes and various cardinals, you can't really dismiss everything that he's writing. Obviously, he might be going a little too far, but I'm sure he saw some stuff. I'm sure he saw the usury, the, the loaning of money, the fleecing of the poor. The uh, Practically every churchman had an unofficial wife, had bastard children running around. So, yeah, he's pissed that the church is, has lost, uh, uh, Rome has lost the church. But again, you, you, I'm sure he saw enough stuff that would make us today with our morals and values and what we think of the church absolutely cringe of all the depravity that was going on. I think he's also pissed because he can't get his dick wet with Laura. Uh, he's he's like, you frustrated. guys. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. He, he, want, he, he wants to Help. nut it with Laura <laughs> and he can't. And he's just like, right. he's, he's, he's backed up and angry <laughs> and cranky. Hell hath no fury like an unsatisfied penis. Now, a lot of money had to be spent also to try and reconquer the lost papal states in Italy. We're going to be talking a little bit about the attempts yeah. of successive popes to do that on this this episode. Mm-hmm. So in comes Pope, and I love this name, Innocent the Sixth. He's the fifth pope from Avignon. He's made pope on December 18th, 1352. And I, I apologize, I can't pronounce his real name, Entienne. Hubert? Albert? How, how would you say his name? Enlion. That's not even... Enlion. Close. Okay, I'll take your word for it because that's not even... So he taught civil law at Toulouse, becomes a bishop in 1338, uh, another different bishop in 1340. In 1342, he is made cardinal. And um, when he does become pope, he does give a few positions to your relatives because you have to, to, to shut them up. But again, like the other popes, after he does that, he tries to shut down nepotism. He tries to rein all that in. He just attack corruption as best he can. He cuts back on the huge 400-person staff that Clement VI has. He cuts back on expenses. He makes priests live in their benefice, however you say that, that they were given, as opposed to having someone else run it and live in a very nice place, probably on the beach. He tries to live a modest life to be a good example. But one of the the main reasons he's cutting back is because he needs this money because all the money that had been gathered by John the twenty second and benefit uh, Benedict the twelfth is now all gone. He is scratching just to survive, and he has very ambitious aims, and all those aims need money. Now, uh, there's another woman that I want to talk about because mm-hmm. she's uh, plays a big role in this period, Saint Catherine of Siena. Okay, what? What a badass yeah. this chick is. 
she was declared patron saint of Rome in 1866, then the patron saint of Italy in 1939, and patron saint of Europe by Damn. Pope John Paul II mm-hmm. in 1999. Um, her story is is kind of fascinating. She was uh, in the Dominican order. She was a philosopher and theologian. Uh, born in Siena, which is uh, like half an hour out of Florence these days, uh, beautiful little town, right. devoted herself to God against the will of her parents at a very young age. And there's all these sort of signs of mystical phenomena around her, stigmata, mystical marriage. She claims she was married to Jesus and that his foreskin was her invisible wedding ring. <laughs> I think I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. No, I went down a rabbit hole uh, tell me you did. of Jesus's foreskin because uh, I'd never heard this before, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> that I did a bit of film. a double take. That should be in your film. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to work it into the film. How do I work Jesus's um, foreskin into my film? I want to hear you say that. I think you and well, uh, Gary Arndt uh, told me on Facebook that a friend of his wrote a book about. The search for Jesus's foreskin. No. I think you and I need to do a documentary about this. Done. We need to go in search of Jesus's foreskin. And done uh, because it's out there somewhere now. Yeah, it's also it's known as the holy foreskin or the holy prepice. <laughs> Jesus, um, of course, he was a good Jew. Jesus, um, and when he was born, he was yeah. circumcised and apparently uh, they held on to it. <laughs> well, you would, wouldn't you? They said. I don't know. <laughs> My mom's still got mine. Does she wear it as a ring around her finger? I hope not. Um, well, of course. I mean, okay. Leaving leaving aside the question of whether or not Jesus ever existed, right. I've had some online debates about that. Right. With Tom Holland's uh, Twitter thread, uh, Twitter thread this week. Um. You know, uh, if you go back and you read the New Testament in chronological order, mm-hmm. um, Jesus didn't become special um, until a lot later in his life. Right. According to the earliest Christian writings we have, which are Paul's epistles, Jesus didn't become special until he died. It was when he died ah. that God decided he was special. Did- and uh, made him, you know, the 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 holy new kind of uh, spiritual Messiah. Right. Um, then you get to the first gospel, which is Mark, written around about seventy CE. In Mark, he becomes special when he's baptized by John the Baptist. Right. There's this story of um, a what? bird coming and landing on him. Can I ask real quick? Or the Holy I, Ghost in the form of a bird. Yeah. Just real quick, roughly according to Mark, when was what age was Jesus when he was baptized? Roughly, what do we know? Oh, uh, it doesn't say, but people sort of guess late twenties. Okay, so no foreskin. Okay, because his yeah, his ministry only lasted a few years, and he supposedly was about thirty three when he died. Right. So yeah, like so late twenties is when he gets okay. baptized. Right. Um, it's just before John the Baptist gets arrested, and that's kind of how they roughly date it. Um, 
But so, yeah, again, according to Mark, he doesn't become special to God until the baptism. Now, what I point out um, in the documentary, and uh, listeners of our Caesar show will appreciate that, in Mark it says that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And I point out that, okay, well, people today probably take that literally. But when you put yourself in the mind of somebody in the Roman Empire in Mm -hmm. 70 CE, birds landing on things... Yes. Had always been a sign of, you know, the, the favors of the gods, right? Okay. It's, uh, you and I have talked about this at length on our show. And, and the auspices was literally the reading of the movement of birds. Mm-hmm. The name of somebody who read the birds was an auger. Augustus was the original son of God um, mm-hmm. and, and became a god himself when he died. So, the landing of birds uh, to signify somebody being favoured by the gods would have been well understood to people who ah. grew up in as Gentiles in pago Roman religions, who is who Mark is writing for. He's writing for a Gentile audience, probably in Rome is where the best guess of where Mark was writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's in Mark when Jesus becomes people. Then in Matthew, which is the next gospel, probably written around 80, CE, that's when the virgin birth story appears for the first time. So in that, he's special when he's born. Right. Then by the time, and Luke tells the same story, probably based on Matthew, uh, by the time you get to the Gospel of John, written probably 100, 110 CE, Jesus has always existed from the beginning of time as part of the, like, Holy Trinity. Right. so he's always been special, even before he was born. So when you when you put the New Testament in chronological order, you can see the evolution of when Jesus became special in right. the eyes of the early Christians. When he died, when he was baptized, when he was born, he's always been special. Right. He's always been. That's fascinating. But, yeah, it is. And the reason I say this, though, is because when he was born, according to that um, you know, chrono- chrono- chronology, mm-hmm. um, he wasn't special, so they wouldn't have kept his foreskin. I assume they didn't keep everybody's foreskin. So the whole fact that they think there's a, that it was kept, right. it was a holy relic. It literally was a holy relic. But, but, you know, if he did exist, and I still think that's up for debate, he wasn't special when he was born, so no one was keeping his fucking foreskin. Anyway... <laughs> St. Catherine claimed to wear it as an invisible wedding ring. Now, according to tradition, Charlemagne gave it. He had it as a holy relic. Right. um, And he gave it to Pope Leo III when Leo crowned Charlemagne the first Holy Roman Emperor. Then it ended up in the village of Calcutta, north of Rome, as a holy relic. It was there for centuries. You could go go and see Jesus' foreskin until... I'm there. It was stolen oh. in 1983 oh my God. and has not been seen since. Now, this may be a coincidence, but in 1983, mm-hmm. David Bowie released Let's Dance. Now, I don't know about you, but I think... Right. David Bowie may have, like, if there's, you know, if there's anyone who was close to Jesus... It's David Bowie. In my lifetime, yeah. it was David Bowie. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Michael Jackson came out with Thriller that year. Really? I think. Mm. I think you're on And then something. Michael Jackson yeah. 
started to look very different. So maybe he bought... He rubbed it on We himself. know he bought the rights to the Beatles catalogue around about that time. <laughs> maybe. Outbid Paul McCartney. Maybe he also bought Jesus's foreskin, and that's what turned him white and made his nose fall off. To look it's just more my like theory. I, right, right. So I can't back that up. No, no, I, I don't blame you. Um, wine, I need you to pick an amount for the Kickstarter campaign so we can get that going. Two, if Charlemagne has some foreskin that he gives to Pope Leo and it's not, hear me out, it's not Jesus's foreskin, <laughs> whose foreskin is it? And did they grab some poor schlep and just cut off the tip of his dick to, to be able to do that? I mean, yeah. we've got to get well, a we Taurus. Know. Yeah. Well, we well we know that that was the the relic trade back then. Is there was a million relics, like they right. they said, you know, if every if every uh, cross relic of the Holy Cross was original, there would, would have had to have been like the size of the Empire State <laughs> Building. Um, and it's the same with all of these holy relics. People were obviously just going around and stealing right. bones and going, "Oh, holy relics, yeah. get your holy relics!" <laughs> and there was obviously a market for foreskins. Yeah, they were buying oh foreskins God. and selling them as. Jesus is we should have, we should got to get on the ground floor of that. But anyway, anyway back to Saint yes. Catherine of Siena. Um, she was uh, a complete badass. Now James Caffin told me that he has seen her skull. It's apparently now a holy relic oh. in Siena. I've been to Siena, but I didn't know yeah. that you could go see the skull of Saint Catherine. That's- I was too busy drinking wine, I yeah. think, when I went there. But um, next time we go to yeah. Florence, we'll yeah. go up. We didn't do it on this trip because we just didn't have time. We yeah. went there long enough. But next time we'll go to Siena and we'll um, go see uh, yeah. the skull of St. Catherine. So she, getting back to her at this point, um, wrote a letter to uh, Gregory the Ninth. He comes a little bit later in our story, but she said that the papal, when she visited the papal court, her nostrils were assailed by the odors of hell. Ooh! So the prestige and the authority of the church was taking a big hit across Europe at the time. In the 80, 70, 80 years there in Avignon, the popes named one hundred and thirteen Frenchmen as new cardinals out of a total of one hundred and thirty-four. Oh God! Corrupt much? So as a result, the Germans decided popes would have no more role in the election of their kings and emperors. Ooh. In 1372, the abbots of the Archdiocese of Cologne refused to pay a tithe to Pope Gregory Eleventh, and mm. publicly issued a proclamation that said, the apostolic see has fallen into such contempt that the Catholic faith in these parts seems to be seriously imperiled. The laity speaks slightingly of the church because, departing from the custom of former days, she hardly ever sends forth preachers or reformers, but rather ostentatious men, cunning, selfish and greedy. Things have come to such a pass that few are Christians in more than name. Wow. But just just real quick before we move on, if you're a pope or a cardinal or a bishop or whatever not only are you a prince and that's pretty a pretty nice job to have but you literally think believe have been told and act like you are a representative of god i mean that's gotta be heady stuff to take um worldly power and also spiritual power and put them together i just would imagine most humans would have a difficult time holding back from thinking that they're special and acting in a certain way 
Yeah. And of course, you know, based on my theory of psychopaths, mm-hmm. the, the psychopaths are the ones who would have risen to the top of that organization as they rise to the top of all organizations. Right. Um, and so all of these popes and cardinals are probably psychopaths uh, to varying degrees. Um, they're, they're, they're attracted by mm. the promise of wealth and power and are prepared to get rid of anyone in their way to achieve it. Yeah. That's basically the, the nature of psychopaths. So, yeah, I'm sure a lot of these guys were psychopaths. Now, if we, I, I want to kind of move on to the status of the church in Italy Ray, okay. if, if that's okay, if that's not fucking your uh, timeline, is there something you wanted to say before we well, skip over to Italy? Uh, I w- at some point, I was just going to jump into Pope Innocent beginning the path of trying to take the church back to Rome, which goes into some of the wars. I was going to do high level, but I can do that later or just whatever. Work I'll get it. to that. Yeah, yeah. I'll ahead. get to that. Yeah. I, I, I guess the, the one of the points of telling these stories of the Popes of Avignon is to help people understand why the status of the church in Italy uh, and in Florence was very poor. Mm -hmm. People had very little respect for the popes at this stage and for the church uh, as a whole, really. Even though they're Christians, they believe that the church, the papacy, has lost its way and so they're not going to pay much attention. They take control of affairs for themselves and then they start making their own people popes eventually. But yeah. it's, at some point, Louis of Bavaria had invaded Italy uh, and declared himself Holy Roman Emperor. This is around 1328. Mm-hmm. I mentioned briefly earlier in this episode of the one earlier that Pope John XXII was against it. He excommunicated Louis. Louis didn't care. Right. He was a German. He saw the Pope as being the tool of the French kings now. Right. Holy Roman emperors had been um, Germans for, for hundreds of years. Um, and three months after being crowned Holy Roman Emperor, Louis published a decree basically deposing Pope John XXII oh on the grounds of heresy. Right. So the Pope's excommunicating the Holy Roman Emperor. The Holy Roman Emperor is deposing the Pope. And he installs a Franciscan, Pietro Ranaducci, mm-hmm. as Nicholas V, right. who is known in history these days as one of the anti-popes. Right. Uh, an, an anti-pope uh, is sort of a non-official pope. I guess, not elected by the College of Cardinals at mm-hmm. this stage. Right. Now, the idea of the antipope, you know, I've said that, that uh, Christians have been fighting each other since the very beginning of Christianity. Right. The idea of the antipope goes way back to 235 oh, uh, with Hippolytus of Rome. Can you guess how many antipopes there have been? Um, for some reason, 37 feels right to me, but that's a total guess. Mm. Mm. Wrong. Want to have another guess? <laughs> Up or down? <clears throat> well, let me give you a hint. Yeah. It is the secret of the universe, life, and everything. Or life, the universe, 42? and everything, I think is how it goes. 42. 42. Wow. 37 was 40. Bad. Yeah. Not bad, yeah. yeah. 42 anti-popes. 
That's now, a, yeah. On the 19th of February, 1329, uh, Nicholas V presided over a bizarre ceremony at the Duomo of Pisa mm-hmm. where they had a straw puppet that represented Pope John XXII dressed in his pontifical robes. Right. The puppet was condemned, degraded, and then executed. Oh, my God. That's pretty ballsy. I mean, this is a pope. Well, technically, no. He's an anti-pope. Oh, which one? The, John? John, the, yeah, yeah, John yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, They're basically creating a uh, voodoo doll right. of <laughs> a pope. Yeah. And condemning it. Oh, my God. But, again, that's just another demonstration about how frustrated and disappointed the people are. Yeah, but I, like I, I kind of I, I admire uh, Louis Balls here. Um, he's a bit like um, Henry the Eighteenth, right? He's just like, you know what? Fuck the church. I'm going to invent my own church. Henry the Eighth. Um, sorry, Henry the Eighth. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to invent my own church. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to create my own pope because yeah. uh, the papacy, and he was probably right. Like the papacy was corrupt as all buggery. He knew that. <laughs> And, and, he, and it's important to note that uh, Nicholas V was a Franciscan. Again, the Franciscans were all about simplicity, right. poverty. 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 Yeah. Of course, you know, if you're the Holy Roman Emperor, you want the church to be poor because you want all the money for yourself. So it's not necessarily a noble act. Right. But he might have been trying to reform the church by appointing this guy. Um, now, one of Louis's other friends... Another guy who was a Franciscan and hated the Pope was the English Franciscan friar, William of Ockham. Mm. What do you know of William of Ockham? Not much. Should I admire his balls too? Or no? Well, yes, but also you want to admire his razor. His razor? Yeah. Um, not, uh, who are the razors that you sell on your uh, other show? (laughs) The the Harry's razors. (laughs) Harry's razors. You ever heard of Occam's razor? Yes. Oh, from, um, from, uh, shit. Ender's Game. (laughs) Seriously, it's an, it's an Ender's Game. Um, what is, what is Occam's razor? Occam's razor is also known as the law of parsimony. Parsimony. Mm-hmm. Um, the simplest solution tends right. to be the correct one. Gotcha. In mathematics, in the in in the sciences, um, when pres- when presented with competing hypotheses to solve mm-hmm. a problem, one should select the solution with the fewest assumptions. Ah, I like that. More of a guideline than a rule, <laughs> right? But still, it holds up. Yeah, yeah, but people take it too far sometimes um, because sometimes things are complex and complicated and yeah. the simplest answer is not the correct one. But as a rule of thumb, as a heuristic, you often want to find the simplest possible solution that has the, the least number of variables involved in it. Gotcha. Um, quite often it it, it, it it can point you in the right direction. Now, Occam claimed the Pope was a heretic. He said, our faith is not formed by the wisdom of the Pope, 
For no one is bound to believe the Pope in matters which are of the faith unless he can demonstrate the reasonableness of what he says by the rule of faith. Ooh, another cut. So basically, just because you're the Pope don't mean shit unless what you say (laughs) makes sense. Which is pretty ballsy. Yeah, and not unreasonable. Occam was the first. His balls were so big, he used his razor to shave his balls. (laughs) He used an axe head. Right. (laughs) Now, he was against John because John, as we've mentioned, was cracking down on the Franciscans for making him look bad. Yeah. Um, we've talked about Francis of Assisi, believed in poverty, said Jesus had nothing, the early disciples had nothing, so we should have nothing too. Damn right. it, was a crit- it was a criticism of the church. And John ruled that the possession, that, sorry, the position of the Franciscans was heresy. Ooh. Saying that Jesus Damn. was poor right. was a heresy. Right. He said Jesus loved the bling. <laughs> loved the bling. Couldn't get enough of the bling. <laughs> Didn't Jesus have a Cadillac that had the uh, the rims that spin backwards when the tires go? Yeah, I mean some pretty fancy shit going on. And he had and he had risers on the back <laughs> of it too to go bounce down the streets in Judea, riding on a donkey. Fuck that! He upgraded that. No, he called his Cadillac. Hey, that's my donkey. Yeah, he's a lowrider. Very, very little known fact there. So the Pope ruled that uh, saying Jesus and the disciples were poor was right. heresy. This is nothing more even than though, politics. Even yeah. though it says it in the Bible. <laughs> no, wrong Bible, wrong God, wrong Bible. He was like, look, the Bible's written in Latin. No yeah. one can read Latin no. except me. <laughs> They're not going to know. And it says cattle. Um, yeah. Hmm. Now, Nicholas V, the antipope, uh, fled Rome when Louis left. Um, he kind of figured that he probably wasn't safe yeah. in Rome. Yeah. Um, and instead, he went to Avignon and asked John for absolution. Look, um, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know what I was I, thinking. Yeah, I had a fever. I um, got really drunk. Louis yeah. got me really, really <laughs> drunk. Said, hey, you know what we should do? I should make you pope. I was like, oh, oh let's do yeah, it. That'd yeah. be great. Yeah. And then I woke up, hung over, eyebrows are shaved off. He'd <laughs> drawn a big dick in my forehead with a, with a permanent marker and tells me I'm pope. And by the time I sobered up, I was like, oh, oh no, this is what have good. I done? Yeah. I found out I'm married to a hooker in Vegas and, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, a, I'm pope. a pope. <laughs> and I'm a pope. What am I going to do? So, First thing I did is I yeah, came to you to yeah. apologize. I haven't I, even bothered to wash wash the dick off my forehead. That's how quickly it's right I here. you can see. It. And I know you're big him. on you're big on forgiveness. So, Your Holiness, I'd really appreciate it if you let me slide this time. And John did. See, he granted it, and Nicholas faded away into obscurity. God. Yeah, he could have. He now, could have been tortured. Yeah. In 1342, Benedict XII tried to weaken Louis' power over Italy when he confirmed that all of the tyrants that had taken over the Lombard cities, mm-hmm. they now had the authority, uh, the blessing of the Pope, to control those cities. So uh, these are the 
These are the cities that weren't part of the papal states, but they were <laughs> part of the Holy Roman Empire. Right. Oh. Because the papal states were the ones where the Pope was actually the sovereign. He had temporal power over those right. states. He was basically the king. There were other, the old Lombard cities that uh, weren't par- part of the uh, grant of Pepin um, that uh, belonged to the Holy Roman Emperor. But the Pope now goes, nah, you yep. can have them. Fuck the Pope. Pope's excommunicated. <laughs> These now belong to you. Now, the, the, the Louis, the Holy Roman Empire, in revenge, gave the imperial sanction to the tyrants who had seized the papal states. Oh, my God. It's like, you now have my protection right? to uh, tell the Pope to go fuck himself. <laughs> you now can control the papal states. So this is how it's playing out in Italy. The Pope versus the Holy Roman Emperor, both of them telling tyrants that had taken control of these cities <laughs> that they have their blessing. I'm glad you took it. I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Now, um, Milan is one of these cities. Um, It had been taken over by the Visconti, Mm -hmm. I mentioned in an earlier episode. Uh, Urban V sent two legates, two of his, uh, uh, how would you describe a legate? Basically a a, a captain. Right. Yeah? Yeah. Church representative, yeah. Yeah. Sent two legates to Milan in 3062, with balls of excommunication to the Visconti. The guy, the Visconti, who was the Lord of Milan at the time, was Bernabo Visconti, famous brutal tyrant. When they turned up these two legates with his bills of excommunication, Visconti forced them to eat the balls. Parchment, silken cords, the lead seals, the whole deal. Right. That's how much he cared about the Pope excommunicating him. Uh, uh, side note, I have to ask, if you were the legate and you showed up with a papal bull and the guy said, look, not only am I going to take that, but I'm going to let you choose. You can either shove that up in its entirety up your ass or you can eat it. What? Oh, Just I'd curious. take it up the ass. Come on, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'd be like, where's the lube? <laughs> Listen, it's not gay. <laughs> To stick a papal bull up your ass. I don't know. It's it's just it's anal play. There are erogenous zones in the male anus. Wait, wait. The, okay, nothing so get, actually nothing a tickles bit. them. Nothing tickles them like a silken cord like and a, a bit of parchment. Bull. Right, right. Like okay. A, <laughs> Lesson learned. I learned. It's not the new. first bull I've had up my ass. Oh, you mean a papal bull? Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> I didn't know you called me bull. Thank you. Oh, you're a bull. You're a bear and a bull. Um, Speaking of bulls and bears, um, going back a bit, Clement VI, when he was Pope, sent an army Mm -hmm. to recapture the Papal States, um, but it was his successor, Innocent VI, who became Pope in 1352, who actually had some success. And yeah. I think that's where you wanted to pick up your notes. Yeah, so I was just going to jump in. Innocent VI becomes um, uh, Pope 1352. He's cutting back on expenses. He's doing all these things to try to, to have a, a purse, a war chest, if you will. And one of the things that he's really focused on is freeing the church from France. Now, in order to do that, he needs the papal states. He needs the revenue from the papal states. And if you think about it, the only way you can really free the church from France is 
probably to move it back to Rome. So I need the I need the um, papal states back. So when I do move the church, uh, they'll, it'll be safe. Plus, I need the money that's coming from that. So he puts a man in charge whose name is Gil. His, he's a cardinal, Spanish cardinal, Gil Alvarez Carrillo de. Alborzno. I'm sure I screw that up. Alborzno. Anyways, I'm going to call him Gil because that's all I can barely say. So step one, you have to get an army, but you need money. So let me back up. Step one, you need money. So he gets money from Florence because Florence, as we know, is pretty well off. They're always fighting the uh, city-states around them, and they generally um, uh, will side with the Pope when they can. So he gets money from Florence. He raises a small mercenary army, but he's going to try diplomacy first. So with his tongue, instead of his sword, he gets the help mm. of the arch- <laughs> Archbishop of Milan, Giovanni Visconti, the Archbishops of Pisa, Florence, and Siena. And only when he has their support does he move against the uh, the uh, Lord of Viterbo, which is 40 miles or 64 kilometers north by northwest from Rome. There's a man there named Giovanni di Vico, who's the Lord of Viterbo. So he fights him and he wins in a battle um, on March 10th, 1354. So things are looking pretty good for the Pope. He's starting to get his territory back. Then Remini... Urbino, Ravenna fall to the Pope's um, forces. There's also Faenza, Forli that are also conquered. And then finally Bologna comes. Bologna was actually fighting against the the Visconti uh, who ruled Milan. He was losing, so he gives himself over to the Pope. Now, the Pope has suddenly got the vast majority of his papal states back. But the first thing that people are going to think is, what about all the church corruption that's going to return if you bring the uh, papacy back to Rome? So what Gil does is he gives each of these conquered territories the um, Agedian, Agedian, I think, constitution. I don't know how to say it. And basically, it's six books that create the constitution of the papal states. And just to do it real quick, he's like saying the areas will be broken up into provinces and each area, each province will have a rector that is appointed by the Pope. Each rector will have a council of seven and it's their job to fight corruption. Now, each councilman will actually be from a different province so he can't benefit friends and family members. That's that's pretty good. And the rector in charge of each province will pick a man to be in charge of the armed forces there who cannot be one of his relatives. So this is a commendably progressive uh, constitution. In fact, it, it acts so well that there is relative stability in the running of these papal city-states until 1816. So again, it's a very impressive thing, but the Pope truly is trying to work on doing a better job of cutting back on on. Uh, corruption. But again, as we said earlier, this Pope, like a lot of the other ones, is going to be dominated by the Black Death and by war. So even though he's having these successes, he's still financially struggling. Pope Innocent VI ends up selling works of art. Um, But even by 1357, he is decrying that the treasury of the papacy is empty. Um, so he's doing the best he can, but he still needs a lot of money. And before he is, his time is up, he does get Britain and France to sign a treaty in 1360, which ends the first phase of the Hundred Years' War. So he is having some, some diplomatic success, but <clears throat> all good things must come to an end. On September 12th, 1362, after being Pope for about nine and a half years, Pope Innocent VI dies. 
But the good news is that the papal states are back, mostly are under the control of the Pope, and is now he has now cleared the way for the papacy to return to Rome. All it took was ten years of killing Christians. <laughs> Christian on Christian violence, the best kind. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dr. Bornoz, um, who I call the Albatross, um, <laughs> he he was a brilliant general mm-hmm. who came from a noble family uh, in uh, Toledo. His uncle was the Archbishop of Toledo, and then um, Dr. Bornoz was made the Archbishop before he was twenty eight years old. Wow. Uh, was a, was a brilliant uh, general, fought off a Muslim invasion from Morocco, uh, but then the king of uh, Castile, Alfonso the Eleventh, died. Mm. Um, he was uh, Dialbornos wasn't in the good books of uh, the new king Peter the Cruel, <laughs> so he resigned his archbishopric, and that's when Pope Clement made him a cardinal. Wow, and then. Innocent said, hey, I hear you're good with a sword yeah. and sent him off. Go go kill all the Christians in yeah. Italy until they give me back my fucking papal states, which he did. Yeah, did good. Now, uh, Innocent was followed by Urban V, another Frenchman, Yeah, still based in Avignon. The sixth. He's from the... Pope. Or, mm-hmm. What? Uh, he's the sixth Avignon Pope. He was from the Order of St. Benedict... Mm. Same as uh, St. Catherine of Siena. Right. Now, because of the, the Benedictines uh, took a vow of poverty when they joined their uh, monastic order. Mm-hmm. So even after he's Pope, Urban V lives simply and modestly. He works hard to try and clean up the corruption of the church. And he wants to return the papacy to Rome, even though he's a Frenchman. Ooh. Um, his two big dreams as Pope are to return the papacy to Rome and to run a crusade against the Turks. Um, because I may be, you know, simple, simple man, but what? I like to kill me some Muslims. Um, he got, in 1363, he got King John II of France and Peter I, the King of Cyprus, to promise to lead one, but then... yeah. John went back to jail in England. Did you you know that story? Um, is that where his? No, I, I can't remember that one. Do you, do you have it? Well, basically, um, I don't. Know, I didn't write it down, but I know the story because it's sort of classic. So, the Treaty of Brittany, um, which ended the first phase of the Hundred Years' War, as you mentioned, um, John, King John of France, had been captured by the English. And he was in prison. And they negotiated a deal, a treaty, where he would put a couple of his sons in prison to take his place. Right. And he would go back to France and raise money to bring back to England to sort of bail his sons out. Right. Um, but then he heard that his sons had escaped. Oh, and instead of going, nice work, boys, um, I'll meet you for a <laughs> fucking latte under the Eiffel Tower, he said, oh, well, that's, that's not right. I better go and surrender myself. So he goes back to England Fuck. and surrenders himself right. as a prisoner. And then the, the English king, the Plantagenet king, says, well, 
you didn't, where's the money? Yeah. He goes, well, I, I didn't have time to get the money. He goes, oh, the whole thing's over. <laughs> right. And they go to war again. <sighs> the whole treaty fell apart. Oh, but he, he went back to England to surrender himself because his son's escaped. I'm not sure if yeah. that I respect him for that or if he's no, a complete dipshit. He's I'm a not sure. dipshit, yeah. Maybe, maybe both. Not the brightest bulb, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, Urban V. So yeah. in 1367, after getting personal pleas from Petrarch and St. Catherine, Urban sails from Marseille and arrived in Rome in October. Of Yay! 1367. Finally. The, the first pope to set foot in his own diocese, because he's the <laughs> Bishop of Rome, right. in 60 years. Yeah. He looks around and he goes, <laughs> Rome looks like shit. <laughs> I came back for this? I don't think so. As we talked about in the Petrarch episodes, Rome had gone to hell in a handbasket in those 60 years. Half of its churches were deserted and falling down. St. Paul's was in ruins. St. Peter's looked like it was going to collapse at any minute. Palaces looked like tenement buildings. There was rubbish lying in the streets. Yeah. So, yeah, Urban looked around and went, oh, oh I do not think so. It's very this is smelly. Fucked up to me. Yeah, yeah. So, but the good news is he does give money. He goes, look, start cleaning this up, restore the papal palace. But for now, I'm going to go stay in Monte Fiascone, which is 45 miles or 72 kilometers north of Rome. And so he's waiting for it to be rebuilt. And as you can imagine, because he's used to the finer things, his French heart misses Avignon. And we should point out that Montefiascone was the old palace of Albornoz, the albatross, mm. um, who was dead at this stage. Right. Now, because he was dead, civil war is going to break out in Italy again. People are like, Fuck oh, me. this guy, who the, yeah. the, the big scary Spaniard's right. gone. The Pope's gone. Yeah. Rise up. He goes back to Avignon because even though he's a Benedictine, he kind of got used to the luxury yeah. a little bit. Yeah. He's getting pressure from the French cardinals to come back. So in September of 1370, he left Italy for France. Now, St. Bridget of Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, she was one of the founders of ABBA, she predicted <laughs> that he would die Yes, if he left Italy and, you know, that's not a bad prediction because everyone's going to die sometime. <laughs> that's right. I predict that after we finish this recording today, you are going to die. Right. Sometime. At some point. <laughs> well, she probably heard it from God, so hers is probably slightly more reliable. And on his way home, he gets sick. Yeah. Yeah. Was so, reliable. Yeah. Go ahead. Kill him off. Well, yeah, he, 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 he. a few days after arriving back in Avignon, he fell ill and he died not long after. Now, where are we? Oh, we're at an hour. We're at an hour. I, I do want to say real quick that this pope, uh, where did it go? He did um, support students. He'd, he founded a new college. He also supported many savants. And I can't help but think that if Cam and I had lived at this time, <laughs> that this podcast... Well, maybe not this podcast, but the other podcasts would have been supported by the Pope. <laughs> That's my guess. Yeah. Where's a good Pope when you need one? <laughs> 
So now, so so but, 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 so he dies on September fifth, thirteen seventy. No, no, sorry, shit! I can't believe I just did that. He died on December nineteenth, thirteen seventy. He had been pope for eight years, and he led everybody who wanted to come in see his body as it wasted away to show this here to show that to how vain and brief is the splendor of the most exalted man. So, but the point is, he has committed uh, the papacy to move back to Rome, which leaves us with one more Avignon Pope, Gregory the Eleventh. Do you want to save that until the next episode? Yeah, Gregory the Eleventh, the nephew of Clement the Sixth, yeah, who made him a cardinal at age eighteen. <laughs> Shit. He's ordained a priest on December 29th, 1370, and elected Pope the very next day, oh God. aged only 39. He oh. was the seventh and the last Avignon Pope. But, yeah, I think we'll have to get into Gregory's story on uh, our next episode. Um, Bless you. And, yeah. What? Bless you, my son. Oh, thank you. Bless you, too. Um so that's so. So what we've learned so far is the Avignon popes, they went to Avignon because the French king basically uh, killed the previous pope, right. and forced them to elect a Frenchman. Said move move close to France so mm-hmm. I can keep an eye on you. Right. Um, basically, that led to seventy years of extreme, unprecedented corruption on yeah. behalf of the papacy. Uh, and all of Europe, basically outside of France, basically saying, fuck you, we don't believe in the papacy anymore. Right. Um, you are disgusting. You disgust me. And uh, uh, eventually they decide they have to go back to Rome. They start to rebuild Rome. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will get them back to Rome in our next episode. Sounds good. Although that's not going to go very well for them either. <laughs> hey, what are you going to do? It's a start. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, that'll be the next time.